Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 151, Jurassic Park. Today, we are going all the way back in time to the prehistoric days of November 1990, <laughs> when a man named Michael Crichton published a little book called Jurassic Park. The book launched a franchise that spans two novels, five movies with a sixth on the way that have racked up $1.8 billion worldwide, multiple amusement park rides, millions of plastic dinosaur toys, and it ensured that we all know the words Velociraptor and Chaos Theory. (laughs) But is the book any good? This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need, where Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey. Rawr. Hey. Rawr. I'm ready. <laughs> the, most, the most passive dinosaur ever. Rawr. I'll eat you. Rawr. <laughs> well, we didn't know if we'd ever see Ryder again because Ryder has just gotten back from being in the Jurassic World. I was on Isla Nublar. <laughs> Pretty close. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was in Costa Rica. Um, I've actually been back, back, back stateside for a little over a week now. But I was able to enjoy Jurassic Park while in a jungle of Costa Rica. <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool, I have to say. Like it, it, it is a pretty wild place, and we're we're pretty remote. We are on the Osa Peninsula, uh, which is basically like this section on the southwestern part of Costa Rica that uh, the government in the '70s bought back all this land and have just um, allowed it to be a jungle. Um, it's really, really beautiful, and lots of monkeys and sloths and crazy birds. Uh, super fun. And a perfect setting to be reading Jurassic Park. Sloths are kind of creepy, though, right? Like, sloths are are strangely human-looking. Oh, I've always found sloths super creepy. But in this context where we we went to, um, like, there's a a nature preserve where this woman has been uh, saving animals, rehabilitating animals that are injured. And she has three sloths. And you just, like, take a boat and you walk up onto this beach and you go into this jungle and they have different cages where she has animals that, you know, have broken a wing or... A monkey here, a monkey there, whatever. She has three sloths, and they were really cute in person. I was not creeped out. They were really awesome. They're, it's weird how how slow they move. It's just unnerving. It's like, dude. Like, but when I've seen video footage of sloths, I'm like creeped out. Like, have you ever seen a sloth swim? It's really weird. Mm-hmm. But in person, they just seem like a cool stoner. You know? Just kind of like, it's like Seth Rogen, basically. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the other day, in fact, I saw a video of a sloth that like, was stuck in the middle of a road somewhere. And some guy picked him up and put him back into the tree. And the sloth like turns slowly and like, like basically like salutes him as he walks away. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Did you see this really weird video? Yeah, it's, if I find it again, I'll I'll post it. But I was like, that is creepy as hell. But also, it's about time the animals began to thank us for all the things we do for them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, where did you guys read read this book? Were you uh, just uh, poolside at your house, Todd? Or uh, I, I read it in three different um, tropical locales. Um, my bed, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the chair in my office, oh. and then the chair in my library. Ooh la la. Yeah. I haven't gone on vacation yet this summer. I've been really busy writing a book and um, yearning to leave town. Yearning to get out. <laughs> what about you, Julie? Have you gone anywhere? Have you done anything other than being in LA last uh, last time we saw? No, you? that was only four weeks ago. I'm not a jet setter like you two. Um, I'm on a slower. <laughs> that was a big trip in my life. Julie is the sloth of people. <laughs> but I um, the sloth of literary discussion. That's more true than I want to admit. Uh, <laughs> I read this book in a way that's really enjoyable, which is I've just been carrying it around. I read it walking down the street earlier today. It's such a nice little, you know, summary paperback. It lives in my purse. And whenever I have a few minutes, I whip through a few pages. It's the best. Have you gotten a lot of comments? Because I got a lot of comments. Yeah. Like, everybody's read this book. So when everybody (laughs) sees it, they're always like, oh, that should that would be good to reread that book. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I did get a lot of jokes about Dino DNA, a lot of uh, famous lines. From the movie, of course, yep. tossed at me. Right. Yeah, it's a book that if you're reading it, people like you. That is what I found. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Honestly, bartend like it's not. It's the opposite of carrying around infinite jest or something, where somebody's like, that person's read, but they're cool. They're nice. Everybody likes Jurassic Park. That's so true. It's you know so what? True. You know what's interesting is there's something about the summertime, like vacation time, where like a big bulky thriller makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I wrote a review of a of a book in USA Today a couple weeks ago, a book called The Chain, which is a big, bulky thriller. And I said, like, it's not summer for me until, like, I read some absurd thriller yeah. that, like, that I would never read any other time, but when you're, when it's hot and you're, everything's feeling a little languorous, you know? I wonder why that is. I wonder what, wonder what, what it is about vacation time that makes you want to read, you know, some apocalyptic thing. I always read something horrifying in the summer. I read Helter Skelter. I read The Hot Zone on an airplane. That was really fun. The Stand. Yeah, I like it dark. On the on the plane home from L.A. when I was with you guys, I read this French novel called The Perfect Nanny about a nanny who, like, murders the children she's watching. And that, that was a great plane <laughs> read. Great, great uh. plane read. <laughs> No twists, just well, so, a nanny who murders. That's it. Uh, well, so let's go back and let's go back and talk about the first time we read Jurassic Park. Because all of I'm assuming everybody uh, had read it before, right? You guys had, yes. had, had no, had, I'd never what? read it. Are you serious? You had never read it, Tom? Never read okay, it. let's. Oh, okay. I would go first because I discovered something about myself um, that I'm ashamed to admit, but um, I have been. I'm not ashamed of this part. I've been tracking my books on Goodreads this year because my friends are doing it and it's fun. I set up a little reading challenge for myself. So, And I have many literary disco fans who like contact me on Goodreads. So I go on there once in a while and I like put in what books I'm reading. And I pulled this up to put on the list. And of course I knew I'd read it before, but I read it at the height of my snobbery, which must have been around when I met you guys. And when Goodreads came out, I have no memory of this, but I gave it two stars and no review, just two stars. And I was like, whoa. You stuck it to Michael Crichton. Yeah, I was like, I don't, I have no evidence because I didn't write a review of like what my problem was like with happiness and the world. But I don't know. I was grouchy about it at the time. Um, and I'm ashamed of that. I'm going to go change my rating after this conversation. Really? Oh, okay. That's good to hear. <laughs> uh, I, 
I'd never read it before, but I had that period of time when I was a kid where I read a bunch of Michael Crichton novels. Yeah, that's why I assumed you had. Yeah, but this like it came out that. and this came out in 1990, and by 1990 I was in college, so like I wasn't reading Michael Crichton anymore. I was reading, you know, only Richard Ford novels or whatever because I was a sad literary 19 year old. Um, <laughs> Which is stupid because I would have really enjoyed this when I was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have been... The thing is, I would have been quoting um, Dr. Malcolm right. uh, constantly. You would have been in your fraternity, like, sitting there with a beer in the corner, dressed yeah. in all black, being like, it's just chaos, man. Yeah, like, like I, I, would have, I would have literally been in a SIG app meeting <laughs> and been like, this is an example of chaos theory. This is the this is the purest example of it. What Clay said is chaos theory. Because I, I went to school with like nine guys named Clay. Can we? I want to hear about Writers Reread, but then let's dive in by talking about Dr. Malcolm because I have some thoughts. Yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. My, 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 here, here, here's my Jurassic Park story. I was, so it was, I was obviously 1990, somewhere in there. And I was heavy into my Stephen King face. So I was reading... The Stand, I believe. And my brother was doing a movie. He was acting in a movie with Tommy Lee Jones. And in between shots, I was visiting the set, like hanging out because, you know, the whole family would go and visit when my brother was working or whatever. We were in North Carolina and I'm sitting there on the set and Tommy Lee Jones sees that I'm reading and he comes up to me and he's like, you know, I got there's a book that you should read. And he, he pitches me. He's like, it's about dinosaurs. This is the most nice story ever. <laughs> and I I walk away from this conversation so pissed off and I'm like, fucking Tommy Lee Jones thinks I'm a little kid who wants to read a little kid book about dinosaurs on an island. And I totally blew him off for, you know, a year or whatever until everybody was reading Jurassic Park and then it was getting made into a movie. And then I was like, oh, I should look into this. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones had the best recommendation. So I'm, I'm sorry, Tommy, that... Uh, <laughs> I totally. I spent. I spent. I spent a year like trashing you, thinking like, "Oh my god, he thinks I'm such a you know." Because at the time, I was like into grown up books, and right. uh, here I thought he was like pitching me some little kid book about dinosaurs. <laughs> but that's true. That that's like what's great about Jurassic Park is that it does appeal to everybody, right? It yeah. has that like, and the same with the movies. I love how the movies always managed, like all five of them, managed to have a kid character like inserted into the situation because <laughs> it's like it does appeal to you know i mean that's, that's partly why i wanted to reread it is because my son is obsessed with dinosaurs at four years old and and is obsessed with the jurassic park movies i mean he the, watches the insertion over over of the kids into this book is the dumbest thing anyone's ever done to a child but you have to do it because <laughs> that's what i love that when I, was, I mean i totally it, yes. I identified with Timmy. Like, that's what I remember of course. reading this book and being like, oh, I know more about computers than the grownups do. That's going to come in useful, you know, or what, you know, it's like all those things that, and I know a little bit about dinosaurs because, you know, that's that, oh, it's, it's so uh, commercially plotted. But it also yes. is. It's, it's pretty crass. I think it's, yes. I think it's more than that. It's narratively intelligent because whenever the science, now, Michael Crichton thinks that he knows all science and math, which I just adore. But whenever the science like gets too much for even Michael Crichton, he's like, well, just put it in the kid's point of view. Put it in the kid's point of view. <laughs> <laughs> which is like, that's the best. Like suddenly I'm like, why are we in this dumb girl's head? Oh, okay. He doesn't know how to explain. Well, you know, you know what we should do? Uh, 
Ryder, why don't you recount the basic plot of the book Jurassic sure. Park for those new listeners? Yeah. Do I even need to? Does has anybody not? I don't know. Okay. Like, all right. How many people have not seen the original because it came out thirty years ago? Is my question. It's. Uh, I think the movies. The movie was re-released in theaters only like two years ago. So. And it's an incredible masterpiece of summer yeah. suspense. So everyone should <laughs> okay. watch. Well. I'll summarize it. Basically, uh, it's set in a world where we have a slightly better, more, a slightly more advanced DNA uh, and cloning process in place. And uh, a private company buys an island off of Costa Rica run by this guy named John Hammond. And he wants to launch a, a muse- an amusement park, a zoological amusement park, by bringing back dinosaurs because they've found a way to go through amber which is not a girl uh, fossilized <laughs> okay, yeah, fossilized tree sap and get the blood of dinosaurs out of mosquitoes which is pretty amazing it's a great idea. i mean <laughs> great, that is great like, idea like, that is the great I mean, that's idea the billion dollar idea that yeah. launched this entire franchise because it makes sense i um, and i had completely forgot about that when when we got to it i was like what? oh How like i forgot that that's how they got the oh dna that's like the iconic that's top i'd forgotten <laughs> that's the master stroke that, yeah. that launched this whole book. I mean, that's why Michael Crichton is Michael Crichton. Right. Um, so yeah, so then he uh, he is, is about to start this island and open it to the public within a year, but he invites a, a group of scientists, uh, paleontologists and mathematicians to come to the park without them knowing what the park is and his own grandchildren. So... <laughs> Which is the not so bright idea he has, and then uh, and then once they're in the park, everything goes haywire, and and the scientists, the outsiders, which are Doctor Grant, who's the sort of hero of the book, um, the, the most heroic figure of the book, uh, is a paleontologist, and he is there with his paleontologist partner uh, Ellie Sadler, who is a she's not a paleobotanist, paleobotanist, paleobotanist right? yeah. Yeah. And and then there's a mathematician or chaostician named Ian Malcolm, <laughs> who's like this rock star wearing all black. Uh, it's really hard to get what's his name out of your Jeff head. Goldblum, yeah. Jeff Goldblum, yeah. Jeff Goldblum. But uh, it's it's really only the three of them, right, that are brought to the island with, and then the two grandkids. Uh, um, and they're there and to assess the lawyer who I the lawyer have Mr. a lot of positive feelings right. about in this book, right. And, and then there's, the, a, there's a whole bunch of characters that populate the island, too. There's the scientist, Wu, who's been in charge of the g- genetics. There's a, um, a hunter animal Muldoon. guy, Muldoon, who's brought in to wrangle the animals. Uh, there's Gennaro. Gennaro is the lawyer. Yeah. There's a there's PR a executive. <laughs> right. So basically, it's it's just... And then we just watch them as all yeah. hell breaks loose on the island. And, then and of they course, have to run around. They're separated. Nedry, yeah. the computer scientist. Oh, Nedry. The villain. Yeah, our villain. Right. Um, and it becomes a cautionary tale about the dangers of taking science where... We shouldn't go. It also becomes a cautionary tale about putting graphs inside of a book. <laughs> and computer language. I was just talking to somebody who was who was listening to it on an audio tape. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. How did that work when they yeah. like do the That's like weird. readouts of all the ASCII text for like three pages? Does the <laughs> poor person reading the audiobook have to say slash XA slash O? Or, or when they do the readouts of like, because throughout the book, they keep going, wait, crunch those numbers again. Tell me what the readouts are saying. How many teras- triceratops are there? And you get a whole page of like the animal count out. Does 20, the poor 20. person? 20, the audio. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. Like, How do you read this graph? I want to say that that. Okay. So listeners, I'm going to assume everyone's <laughs> seen the movie. 
and I'm going to focus on parts you might not understand what we're talking about because it's only a book. So there's a part where they're like, the animals are breeding. And then they're like, it can't be. We're, we count them every day with this computer. A uh, very like 1990s idea of computer. <laughs> um, and so... A computer that's a CD-ROM disc. Yeah, <laughs> a computer that's got all the power of an Android phone. <laughs> yeah. Not even. Not even. So um, they keep like recounting the dinosaurs and they keep like adjusting one thing in their code or whatever and the counts go up and up and up. And I that is one of the most suspenseful things I've read in a long time. And of course I know what's mm-hmm. going to happen I love that stuff. Like, it was really fun instead of some character just quickly being like, they're breeding. Look, look at them right there, breeding. I mean, that is, it's more, I'm going to use a word that's ridiculous. It's more realistic. Uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is how people would, like, get this overwhelming sense of dread. There, there is a, like, Crichton has this weird tick. Well, it's not even a tick. It's, it's bad crap but where to explain some of the science frequently he'll have uh hammond he'll hammond will be talking to <laughs> Wu, who is the master scientist and he'll say well as you know yeah. <laughs> then he'll explain like complex science and the history yeah. of evolution <laughs> i could not believe how much dialogue there is in this book yeah. this whole book is dialogue and what i realized like i was trying to think why it was so like and by like page 300, I was like, oh, this is a TED Talks wrapped around yes. this, yeah. like, a, a plot. Like, it's like, it's basically a TED Talks on DNA and chaos theory and genetics and, you know, a dinosaur. It's like all these different subjects that Michael Crichton just wants to geek out on. Yeah, yeah. And so he creates these characters having these conversations so he can present it. And then the graphs are, it's very right. much a TED Talks built around this like flimsy plot. And that's why like... I remember being so pissed when they had changed all the, the plot points for the movie. And of course I remember being like, the book is so much better when I, when I, when I saw the movie. <laughs> I don't know. But in retrospect, I completely disagree with no, that. Like, the book the is movie, way better. And, 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 and like better. all the changes that they made were so smart and so much yeah. like the, the movie had to make those changes and none of like, like all the, the plot doesn't matter. No, <laughs> like the, the good ideas are there and then you just need to be chased by dinosaurs. So right. like Spielberg was much better at bringing that aspect to life and like making you feel those things. And also Spielberg added a little thing called character marks, <laughs> like where people change because nobody changes no. in this book. No, not it's literally like so- meet Dr. Grant. He's the smartest. Meet Malcolm. He's the smartest. Meet Hammond. He's corrupt. And then they just stay that way. So <laughs> like, last night, everyone just, yeah, I totally agree. I, so I watched the movie with my husband last night. Um, and I've probably seen this movie 12 times, but after reading the book there, I, I wish I could remember what it was. But there was like one line of dialogue that was so good. And I never would have noticed how good it was in the movie, but it compressed everything like from the book that needed to be compressed really quickly and with like emotion and character. And I was like, whoa, yeah. like somebody worked really hard on <laughs> yeah, this man. one line um, in a really effective way. And one of the big changes from the the book to the movie is like in the book, they're like, oh, Dr. Grant just loves kids. He loves them. He loves them. <laughs> no problem. I'm like, right. Whoa! I thought and then he gets stuck with the kids. A metaphor for having children. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they gave him a character arc. Yeah. They established that Grant hates kids, and then he gets stuck with kids and has this whole. I mean, that's great storytelling. Right. And like the book, Crichton just doesn't give a shit. It's like, no. well, but let's get back to the graphs. Okay. <laughs> I want to defend the, him, the science. Is far more compelling than any of the characters. So, like, when a character yeah. is is attacked. 
it actually means nothing except <laughs> no, for a moment just... i was like oh i hope dr malcolm isn't dead because i he's entertaining and then right. so he's off the page for like 25 pages after he's bitten by a t-rex and i was like i don't remember if when he, he dies die? in the book or in the movie mm-hmm. and i was like i sure hope it's not here on page 110 <laughs> <laughs> but no one has any emotion about anyone dying they'll be like did Malcolm make it? Nope. Oh, well. <laughs> I would have been. Oh my god, Malcolm was like, "Thank God, uh, he got sexied up in the movie and it like turned into some <laughs> sultry admonition because right. so annoying. Like, what is his point? His point is why was he invited? Uh, okay, we'll get back to that. But his point is like. You can't do anything because you can't control anything. That's his only point. Like, he is such a... I'm not convinced. Like, even after seeing the movie 12 times, reading hundreds of pages of him (laughs) yammering on about chaos theory, like, would I still go to Jurassic Park if it seemed, like, safe? Yes. Yes. Hell yeah. Yes. 100%. Well, Dr. Malcolm does make one good point um, towards the end of the book. When... It's essentially, he goes on from like three pages in a fucking yep. speech about this and about saying, oh, we have to save the planet. And he's like, and he says, it's never been about saving the planet. The planet's been here for four billion years. It's about saving us. The planet's going to do the planet thing. And I was like, oh my God, Dr. Malcolm's right. All this yeah. stuff that we worry about, it's not about saving the earth it's about making sure humans exist yeah yeah no that's the most interesting passage is on my edition it comes on like page 318 and it's yeah it's just him talking but he talks about science and and how discovery is always a rape of the natural world yeah and like it's really that is actually the most compelling like i still i remember at 11 when i read it like not like kind of getting the whole chaos theory thing but not quite making and like even this time around i was like no it feels kind of like cool cool hip theory but that doesn't really apply in this scenario or doesn't really i don't think it means as much as michael Crichton wants it to mean. no no Um, surely not (laughs) and i remember as a kid like everybody i knew who had read this book like all of us you know kids at at between you know teenagers or whatever part of reading this book is about feeling really smart (laughs) right like kind of patting yourself on the back especially at that age and being like oh oh you just saw the movie i read the book and and then (laughs) And then I remember sitting around and talking about <laughs> chaos theory with people and like reading it now. I'm like, I, I don't think I ever understood it. I don't, I don't know if it's really that. I don't think there's that much insight to be gleaned from this whole, from that whole aspect of things. Like there, there, there are some good points, but all right. of the discussion, like for the most part is just like fun. Make this reader feel smart. Jibber jabber. So one thing that I, <laughs> okay. So it's easy to be hard on Michael Crichton because he writes this crazy ass shit. But (laughs) I do think his curiosity and his joy in these subjects is very contagious. And I love it. Like, if I have to choose between this and Illuminati conspiracy theories that everyone's talking about. 100% science and math, aliens, dinosaurs, whatever. Let's do it. One thing that I did enjoy, especially early on, was I came to this book remembering the lawyer character in the movie who I now understand is a mashup between the lawyer and the PR guy in the book. Um, It's just played as a one note nineties, like lawyer suck joke. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) in this book during the setup, like you really do get a feel for like the competing 
um, genetics labs and the PR firms and the investors and like their fears and worries um, about this project. And about a quarter of the way, and I was like, is the lawyer the best character in this book? Like he's right about everything. You know, he's giving everybody a chance. He's bringing everybody together. Um, and it's just like the kind of thing that only a novel can do. Like nobody would stand for that in the movie, uh, in a movie of right. like a hero lawyer whose stupid regulations are ruining all the fun. Um, right. But right. that was like for me a really enjoyable element. Is like, yeah, these investors are scared that these dinosaurs are gonna go nuts, and they did. The end. Yeah. You know what I thought was interesting, and I wondered about what if Crichton were still alive, what he'd make of it. Uh, and I mean, he lived long enough to experience most of it, but there's a lot in the book about the crass commercialization of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then all <laughs> that came out of this book was the crass commercialization of things. <laughs> yeah, there are amusement park rides. Yeah, like everything, everything that <laughs> yeah. he is saying is a horrible evil about science, entertainment, and zoos specifically <laughs> is everything that has come from Jurassic Park. I mean, what a weird... That, like, that must have been a weird experience for him as a human being. But it's, like... it's This book is a, an indictment of that culture. And then it became that culture. Well, so is Westworld, which is... Right. He also wrote Westworld, the, the original movie. I think He didn't direct the movie, too. No. no, directed, no. But he, he wrote the original Westworld movie. And, and apparently the show is based on a lot of the ideas that he had developed... Um, for that and it's the same sort of thing right it's an indictment of right. entertainment and what we seek from our entertainment and how we enjoy that and 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 how that hurts us or the world around us um right but yeah i mean i agree with julia i i, I really enjoy the sort of basic like fact of Crichton's love of science and and evidence and like deductive reasoning and like that's what makes our heroes heroes mm-hmm. you know like like a, a, almost to a fault like what we were saying earlier like grant has no character like these people don't really have none character, of them have a character <laughs> but they have but they have the they have intelligence right and they have an insistence on looking at the evidence and and making deductions not based on what you want there to be and not based on greed but based on what the evidence and that's like that's still kind of an issue, right? I mean, right. we still live in a world of anti-vaxxers. Like, we're still arguing, like, please, like, listen to science. Please, you know, which, and of course, the irony here is that apparently Crichton became a climate change denier later no. in life. Yes. No. He died. Yes. It's super, that was like, <laughs> like, he lost so many of his fans right before he died because he, st- he started to come. I, I don't know all the details, but I remember it being baffling. And especially now rereading this book, it's like climate right. change is in the book. Like, it's literally described like we are destroying the natural uni- the natural world and it's like you just said he's you know the world's going to be fine but we're not going to be around to see it like he he has it in the book so i can't believe that he later on in life came around to to climate change denial but you know he brought the same thing to television because he created er and you know the big thing about er that nobody really remembers is that it was the first doctor tv show to use doctor jargon to allow right. doctors to speak the way doctors actually spoke and that was michael Crichton's whole thing he's like i've never seen a doctor show where where doctors you know actually say things to each other in technical speak about what they're doing and of course now that's standard right now every show it's like if it's a cop show if it's a lawyer show they use this jargon almost to a fault but he was the first one to insist on that and and i i just love that i still appreciate that i still you know and rereading this book i mean i it it made me like so happy that i had read this at at an impressionable age when you know in like hippy dippy northern california where i was growing up like science was like 
in competition with a lot of new age bullshit, you know, like I was growing up in a place where people still asked each other what their sign was. And like that seemed to have just as much meaning as, you know, and like, no, like I'm so glad that I read a book that really encouraged and, and made heroes out of the people that were the scientists and the smart scientists. And, right. and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking right now online about uh, Crichton and client, climate science. And upon his death, uh, one of the headlines is, Michael Crichton, world's most famous global warming denier, dies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he had he published in two thousand four a book called um, "State of Fear" um, that attacks climate science and climate scientists, hmm. and uh, is an open and frank discussion of the issues that are being suppressed. Ay vey, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's upsetting. Well, people get old and they have bad ideas. You Go know away. what? That was more than a decade ago, and I think we can all agree, every passing month now, more people believe in climate change. <laughs> Pe- yeah, people believe that the world is flat, too. So yeah. everyone's got yeah. problems. So can we talk a little bit about the dialogue, specifically, of Dr. <laughs> yeah. Malcolm? Sure. And whether or not Michael Crichton wrote that dialogue to be spoken eventually by Jeff Goldblum? Or if the sound of you Jeff Goldblum's only... <laughs> voice influences the way we hear the dialogue in our head. I... Let me just, are, you, are, you, are you gonna have any any dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour? <laughs> I, you can't get out of your head now. You can't. It's just, yeah, he, it's you've been Goldblumed. Ian Malcolm has been Goldblumed. Our brains have been Goldblumed. We, he's, he is. He's... So Crichton does, too, does another interesting thing with him, which is that he presages uh, the rise of the monochrome. Uh, mathematical genius <laughs> that he has like, he has Dr. Malcolm dressing like Steve Jobs essentially he wears either black or gray only at all times and I was like well that is a nice sort of utilitarian thing to do that Steve Jobs then took on as his official uniform yeah. it's a very odd thing but so like I, I it was impossible not to hear Jeff Goldblum's voice while reading yeah. all of the dialogue I think it's Michael Crichton's voice like this seems to me very clearly like I got to geek out. So let me put in put in A, a brilliant mathematician, B, make him really cool, and then just write as much as I want exactly the way that I would say yeah. it. Yeah. Um, there's a similar character in Sphere, almost identical character. Yes, yes. And so it's like, it's obvious. I love the movie Sphere, by the way. It's a terrible movie. I <laughs> love it. I've never seen it. I oh, read it's horrible. Book. I love you it. Guys, I, I, looking at his list, I've read every single thing that Michael Crichton wrote. I really? I, I think after I read Jurassic Park, I tore through every single one of his books. Yeah. What's Actually, uh, I'm not sure see. if I read The 13th Warrior. Did you even read The Great Train Robbery? No, I didn't read that one either. But all the science fiction ones. So Terminal Man, Andromeda Strain, Congo, Sphere, yeah. I read Rising Sun, Disclosure, The Lost World, and Timeline. Yeah. Wow. So um, I've never even heard of some me. of those. I I remember reading Congo and then immediately going to see the movie. And the movie's oh, terrible. I love mistake. it. Yeah. Love it. It's horrible. Oh, it's terrible. so bad. Uh, horrible. The, they had to like make the the chimpanzee talk. So it had like so a, bad. Uh, it has like a Nintendo Power yeah. <laughs> glove so it can talk. Yeah. Right. Oh. Amy, Amy, hug Amy. Amy. It's oh. so bad. It's terrible. I love it. Sphere is just as bad. And I But you know, that was that was it. Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall produced that. So they produ- they're the same producers of Jurassic Park. So they I, I actually think Frank Marshall might have directed it. They 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 were like they were just on the Michael Crichton train. They made all that Jurassic Park money and they were like, let's do Congo next. And it just <laughs> Terrible. Just, that was so terrible. bad. So as far as I know, all of the other Jurassic Park 
so when I say the movie is good, I am serious. Like I, absolutely, it has the that like Jaws level. This yes. is perfect for what it is. Um, yes. but all the rest are horrible. And yeah, let's think about <laughs> why it goes like this. Are you ready? Number one is good. Number three, not bad. All the rest are crap. <laughs> sure. I think that's that's standard uh, interpretation. I've been watching a lot of Jurassic Park, guys. My son's obsessed. I've had to watch all five movies. Ugh, and those later ones, man. Talk about not understanding character development or having any stakes that you care about. But cool sequences and, you know, cool dinosaurs. Well, Greg, so my husband, Greg, was in charge of the creative around the marketing um, for Lego Jurassic Park when the Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard one came out. And it your was... Your crass commercialism that is ruining the world is also paying your rent. Uh, <laughs> trust me, there was a lot of internal conflict about it, but Lego considered it like... And remember, Lego's international, so they think this is like right. a stupid American dinosaur project. So they paid like no attention to it and therefore let Greg do whatever he want. And he designed this video game where it was a rampage style game where these dinosaurs just like destroy everything. And we saw it and I remember being like, Greg, this movie is so bad. It does not pass the Bechdel test. This is the least <laughs> feminist thing I've ever seen. And he turns to me and he goes, Julia, all the dinosaurs are female and they talk to each other the whole time. Oh, wow. <laughs> like if you start to see it like that like start rooting for the raptors and their little chatter <laughs> as they eat each other you know it's it's more fun but like man so many of those movies are terrible and that makes me sad yeah yeah i enjoyed the first one and i've seen all of them and only have enjoyed the first one <laughs> the last one that i saw one of the chris pratt ones oh boy that was bad oh wow jesus and also, yeah. why do they keep going back to that fucking place? Don't they know? Don't they know? Well, you obviously haven't seen the sixth one, or the fifth one, where they have to go back to save the dinosaurs from the volcano that's erupting on the island. Oh, that's terrible. So that's why they go oh. back. And so that gives us a, like, 30-minute sequences sequence of humans and dinosaurs running from molten lava ah. and jumping off a cliff together into the ocean. Oh, it's Man so versus stupid. nature, and it's also so dinosaur versus nature. <laughs> nature yeah, versus it's, nature. Yeah, it's too bad, because I, I do think that the, the Jurassic Park world is worth exploring. I do think that there are good movies within it. That's why I actually think the third one, I'm, I'm not joking, the third one's not bad. The first one is is a masterpiece. The second one is is where it all gets derailed. And, and what's amazing about that is that Spielberg directed the second one, too, and had a lot of money and a lot of, you know, a, a lot of goodwill coming off the first film, but he really messed it up. And it's just... It's just is, too much. Like, they the, just try and do too much. It's, it the just becomes one, about the dinosaurs, you Is know? the second one based on the sequel that um, Crichton wrote? Slightly. I mean, they had to change some things because, you know, they had already deviated from, like, Hammond dies, you know, in the, right. in the Crichton book. So they had to deviate somewhat already, and, and they but they just went too far, and they just do stupid shit. Like, suddenly there's a, you know, there's one great sequence where two trucks go over a cliff. And it's like super cinematic and there's two T-Rexes attacking them. But it's just too much. It's just like, you know, like the first Jurassic Park is so contained and tight. It's really like four great chase sequences. Yeah. And the CGI was so limited that they couldn't do whatever they wanted. Yeah. So they had to sort of think creatively and make it scary from a person's perspective. Whereas now CGI has developed so much that we're like, 
it's it's like we've left reality. So these things can, you know, we can have as dinosaurs doing whatever we want. So let's do it. So now they're like chasing them while lava's after them, or like there's ten raptors and they're riding along raptors with motorcycles, or we have a gyrosphere. <laughs> it's like so stupid. You know, it's just like it's left any semblance of like human connection. So it's just it doesn't it's just a video game. Yeah, it's just yeah. a video game. Right. It just feels like this giant spectacle followed by another giant spectacle. And what's amazing is of course my son really is rooting for the dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> he just he just wants to see oh pachycephalosaurus that's the one with the hard head so they know their audience and that's why these movies keep making money it's just a bummer because i feel like you could have it both ways i mean obviously the first movie did where you have great characters you have great development and and you care about people and and i also think that and this is some this is this is my controversial opinion about spielberg in general Uh so uh, you heard it here first guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think that uh, the real star of most Spielberg films and George Lucas films, obviously, is John Williams. I oh, think yeah. the music the, is the oh, reason yeah. that those movies are successful. Yeah. And I think that the reason the first Jurassic Park is successful is because the emotional storyline is given to that movie by John Williams' score, mm-hmm. which is so beautiful and so moving. And it he actually manages because there's not much like of the, you know, in this book, like there's not much of the scientific wonder in the movie, but he manages to bring that with the the, the the music so that when they're on the yeah. helicopter and they're looking out and they see those birds all you need to hear is and your mm. heart soars you're like yes nature matters you know it's like it adds an emotional complexity that is otherwise kind of gone from the movie mm-hmm. and so that's why like the second the second movie um Spielberg scrapped the, the Jurassic Park theme and you're like that's you need the theme like that's the musical <laughs> theme is the heart of this movie actually and that's I mean that's the way I feel about most of I like this take, Ryder. Like, I think that's... I agree. Because, I mean, yeah, if you watch Superman, like the 1977, mm-hmm. it's horrible, but that theme song is Superman. It's it's yeah. the best part of the whole movie, and it's what my son cares about. My son cares about John Williams' music from Jurassic Park and Superman more than he cares about those movies themselves. Like, he wants to sing them. He wants to hear them constantly. He wants to talk about them. He wants to learn how to play them on piano. Did it's John, like John Williams, Williams do, is the artist. He did, did John Jaws. also do Indiana Jones? Yeah. Yes. He did Indiana Jones. <gasps> so he, he did Star Wars. He is the star of Harry Potter. He's the, he's the reason that these movies are the greatest, thing, I think. I think in 200 years, they're going to call them not Spielberg films, not Lucas films. They're going to call them John Williams films. I'm like... Well, a, now he's... I, I'm totally a firm believer in it, Listeners, he's, he's lost. I, I completely agree with you. This makes a lot of a lot of sense to me. I mean, the first Harry Potter, similarly, like everyone watching the movie was like, we know this is a bad movie. But yeah, why does my heart feel so happy? Um, and it's right. the music. It's that, uh, yeah, I like this take. Good take. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I believe John Williams plays a significant role. I don't believe that in 2200, people can be like, did you ever see that John Williams film, Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> it's not... Here's the way. Here's the way to look at it. John Williams is like a once in a generation genius. Yeah, yes, I think Spielberg. True. I think Spielberg is also a genius, but I think he is very commercial, and I think he is very focused on the bottom line and like entertaining. You know, and, and obviously John Williams does that too. But I think John Williams scores will outlast the movies. That, that's my belief, and they already have. Like when when Brian Singer brought back Superman, the mm-hmm. first thing that he did was make sure that he could use the John Williams score because it was so essential to him to tell that story. And it's true. Like Star Wars movies are not a Star Wars movie unless you hear 
the theme. Like, and, and, and you're told how to feel about the characters. You have an emotional reaction based on the Williams score. I, I don't know. So I, I think that like, he's the true genius of the 20th century, like of the filmmaker, like of that. And he just happened to be a film scorer, but he could have, he would have also been writing just as good of, you know, classical scores uh, if he had not found himself in that niche, I think. Uh, he's just, so just that good. I totally agree with you, but I also would like to float why, uh, why say what you're gonna say, Julia? Why See hit them against powerful. each other? Maybe it's more <laughs> about two artists collaborating perfectly in a way that is even beyond their own understanding. You know that they they each think they're geniuses, but what's actually the genius is the way that they emotionally understand each other's. Parts. You sounded a lot smarter with Jurassic Park playing in the background. <laughs> um, I will put I... up for the listeners. There is the this stupid ass youtube video about jurassic park i will put it on our facebook page today as a teaser for this episode you i promise you'll laugh so hard you pee your pants it's about the music that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) (laughs) so we've made a lot of jokes about this book but i gotta tell you i quite enjoyed it (laughs) i i want to officially right here right now take back my two-star review yeah i uh I read this shit like I, like it was a dessert, and uh-huh. I exactly. just devoured it. I mean, it's, it's so fun. It's so, it's so fun. fun. It's so stupid. The characters are so. It's wooden. not that stupid, though. And I, mean, I it loved is, it. It's 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 stupidly. <laughs> what is? I don't know how to because it is actually very intelligent, right? Like, there's a lot of intelligent stuff. Yeah, here. but there's also like. <laughs> That he invites his grandchildren. <laughs> well, they need a weekend away, or their parents are getting a divorce. I'm going to bring them to this. So it's not stupid. World. It's just obvious. It's just yes. obvious. It's just yeah. going for the like low hanging fruit of thrillerdom, yes. which is totally. I mean, and yes, like every chapter ends with, but they didn't know what was around the corner. Right. Period. Da da da. You know, it's like literally so plotted, like heavy hand. But that's fine. Like that's I wanted there Timmy to, to be fucking eaten. Like, hey, Timmy, you you and your fucking suddenly graded computer's ass, you're about to fucking die. And Lexi, we get it. You're hungry. Shut the fuck up. So she's just put in as (laughs) an entire novel. She complains about being hungry. She could be eaten. Uh, She's way improved upon in the movie. Uh, A big upgrade. Big upgrade. Yes. Yeah. The only thing, like, like the one note that Michael Crichton gave her as he wrote is make sure she's hungry. (laughs) <laughs> you, you moron <laughs> that's to make it real okay oh my god yeah uh, so wow bad. well this was great i loved it personally speaking yeah. yes I, I i really enjoyed reading it it was a, it was a lot and just compulsively readable like you you see that review on the back of books like compulsively readable dot 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 a thrill ride dot 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 this is actually a compulsively readable thrill ride <laughs> yeah yeah, I, yeah, and, it's just, and I think where it's a, thin, a where it's fun. thin as far as characters and dialogue and all that, it is really big on ideas. Like, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's fat with ideas, which is fun, and that's just a different. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would never write a book like this, Todd. You would never write a book. <laughs> you like this, this, but <laughs> well, no. Like, you would have characters that yes. have arcs. And yes, I would. You would want dialogue. You know, you wouldn't. But in the play, in in the land of like science fiction thrillers, this is great. It's yeah, so much fun, and it's yeah. and, and it does hold up. Like I really, it's still just as exciting. And I will say this: I was carrying this book around, and my son 
wanted to know what I was reading and sat in my lap and I read, this is the first like non-picture book I've read aloud to him. He sat with me for like 20 minutes while I bored his pants off reading, you know, Ian Malcolm's dialogue. And he, and he kept wanting to come back and do it again. Wow. So like, he's like, are you still reading Jurassic Park? Can I, will you read it to me? So I'm like, all right. Yeah. Was Indy like, wait, 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 go back again to the computer language. What did they type in to turn off all the lights? <laughs> Reader or listeners, we, we can't understand enough that there are just like full pages of, it's not even, it, what's the old coding language? ASCII. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like slash libsyn, like star, star, check, check. You're like, Jesus Christ. But see, I love that when I was 11. I remember reading, when I'd get to those pages, I'd be like, oh, I get this. Yeah. I can <laughs> This is I'm just like coder. me on my computer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then literally at some point, Timmy gets good at computers. Like there's an actual line in the book. Timmy suddenly found himself quite skilled <laughs> with the language of computers. Like, Timmy, who's, who's just been hurled a thousand yards in the mouth of a T-Rex, rolling around in his sister's vomit. It's like, oh, I'm also pretty good at this, this new coding language. <laughs> Christ. Uh, but right. you know what? But this is how we get our, our geniuses. This is how kids decide to do that for their life. So right. we true. need to thank Michael Crichton. I'm sorry, Ryder. Go ahead. Wrap it up. Nope, that's it. All right. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach us you can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading everybody. And thanks for listening. <laughs> it does sound really good when you're talking. <laughs> yes. Oh, I got I should hit stop.